On July 20th, 1969, at 2.17 Mountain Standard Time, I know what I was doing. I was with a group of tourists huddled around a small black and white television set, straining to see the men walk on the moon. Deep in the mountains, reception was really fuzzy, but it was the voice of the announcer that stole the show. Command module pilot Michael Collins orbited the moon some 50 miles above Armstrong and Aldrin in Columbia. When Armstrong and Aldrin landed their tinfoil craft on the waterless Sea of Tranquility, I was in Canada, but my American pride swelled behind my well-hidden tears. I stopped long enough to admit that I missed home just a bit. In a letter, my sister Judy wrote, Tonight I watched the Apollo 11 guys up in the spacecraft, live on TV. Perfectly clear picture, just great. Sunday night, the walk on the moon. In the mountains, I woke to the smell of cedar, tamarack, pines, campfire smoke, wildflowers, and berries. The accumulating winter snows and the summer melt off enhanced nature's perfume in the upper elevations. The waters that fell down a slick rock wall are a life-size tranquility fountain. I can best sum up my profound experience as a trail guide in a quote from A River Runs Through It. Everything that was to happen had happened, and everything that was to be seen was gone. It was now one of those moments when nothing remains but an opening in the sky and a story and maybe something of a poem. Chapter 11, Marriage of Inconvenience. I was a tomboy, but I was also very attracted to men, especially Stuart Longley, a fellow guide at Lake Louise. He was not real tall, but his eyes were intensely blue and dark curly hair framed his tan face. Behind his wide smile, he concealed a playful personality of unharnessed fun. I admired his ability to sit through tough situations with the horses and end up in one piece, basically my Canadian Buck Branneman of the 70s. He lassoed a green horse from the government grazing lands, threw a rope around its neck, and then jumped on, knowing full well that it was going to buck. At summer's end, Stuart and I vowed to stay in touch over the winter. Once I headed back to Michigan, I yearned for the mountains and the cowboy who cared for me so deeply. My Irish cowboy solution was to ask for my hand in marriage. Stunned, I remembered a warning from my mother who said, "'Young lady, don't lead Stuart on.' You know how fickle you are at this time in your life. You are much too young and immature to make lasting promises. So much for my man's opinion because I made the commitment to become his wife, fellow ranch hand, and business partner. Partner, At the tender age of 20, he placed a beautiful diamond ring on my left hand as a symbol of our mutual intentions. The next spring, I returned to Alberta. My fiancé visited his family's ranch. Regretfully, the first and last time occurred on the same day. 
When Stuart escorted me into the sitting room, his family sat at attention. I felt welcome, but I was not accustomed to being in such close proximity to folks, and their questions made me claustrophobic. Growing agitated and impatient, I abruptly took the offensive by asking, So, just how far is it from the ranch to Calgary? About 35 miles, is that right? The longly matriarch said, closer to 40. Along with her correction, she asked why it mattered. I retorted, I want to attend the University of Alberta in Calgary. I gathered my ambitions were a conflict of interest by the sudden change on everybody's face. Obviously, higher education was of little importance. Stewart sat speechless, making it clear that he would not introduce change on my behalf.